So he did it and he brought it to the venture capitalist. He said, now I can talk to my partners. He went and spoke to their partners. And here's the interesting thing. Once you narrow it down, now they were able to say, well, I bet you could probably also do these other jobs. He said, yes. But that only came after narrowing it down. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm here with Phil Terry, founder and CEO of Collaborative Grain, as well as a great author with multiple books. So thank you for being with us, Phil. Great to be here. Thank you. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what your organization do, and then I would love to get into some of these great experiences and stories you have in the book as well. Great, Armin. So today I run an organization called Collaborative Gain, as you mentioned. We're, we're now 20 years old. It's a private community of senior leaders in the internet world, if you will, primarily product management, general management type roles. I started this 20 years ago to create a sort of safe place behind the scenes for senior leaders to ask for help and support each other. I started it with Google and Amazon and a number of other companies 20 years ago. And today about half our members are B2B SaaS companies. So whether it's a CEO or the chief product officer or such. And so that's a little bit about my company. And as I mentioned to you earlier, over the years, I'm not in the job search world. I'm not a recruiter. But over the years, I have advised a number of these digital leaders in their careers. And I realized along the way that we had basically... I had taken a product management lens to the whole job search and had devised a new way to search. And so about six years ago, I wrote that down and then started testing it with hundreds of job seekers into what eventually became my new book, Never Search Alone, Never Search Alone. We went through 400 drafts, 2,500 comments, hundreds of, it was continuously tested the way you would if you were, you know, a software product manager, right? Except that it's a book. And we're now building this kind of large community with volunteers, senior leaders volunteering behind the scenes to provide free services to anyone who's been laid off, let go, or is otherwise looking. We'll give you a lot of support and it's all free and it's tied to the concepts in the book, but you don't even have to buy the book to get all of that support. There's three big ideas in the book, Armin. Should I say what those are? Is that helpful? I would love to hear that. I bet everybody at this point is interested too. Learn more. That's fascinating, the whole story. Yes, please. Three big ideas that really kind of disrupt the conventional way that we search. 
The first is the title of the book, Never Search Alone. The most counterintuitive finding, Armin, over the years of research that I did on this is that no matter who you are, whether you're an accomplished CEO with a public company track record, by the way, or you're a college student going into your first job as a product manager or engineer or whatever it might be, or you're a VP of product or a director or, or an individual contributor, no matter who you are, or no matter your track record, when you are looking for that next role, you feel a certain level of anxiety and insecurity. It is real. And I tell the stories in the book, a number of CEOs are a part of the community that I run, and some of them are quite accomplished and well-known. And when they're looking for their next thing, they feel as anxious as the rest of us. And it turns out that the way to address that, as well as achieve some other things, which I'll talk about, is to create a, a support group, what I call a job search council of job seekers. Never search alone. That's the first big idea. And the community that I'm now building provides free placement and matching. So if you're looking for a job or a promotion and you want to be in a job search council, the volunteers and I will actually put you on a job search council and give you training and support. It's all free because it's something we're giving back. The senior leaders in this community want to support the broader world. So that's big idea number one. The second is, Armin, you know product market fit, obviously. If product market fit drives business success, what I call candidate market fit drives career success. Armin, when, when you're in the search for the next role, your skills and experience, that's the product that you're, quote, selling to an employer, right? So just like you would never roll out a piece of software without doing testing and continuous testing and understanding the customer, you need to do the same. So you need to actually go out and do some research on both what you want, think about what you want and what the market wants and what's the intersection of that. This is really counterintuitive because most people just want to start by getting their resume out and da, da, da. And they're missing this huge opportunity to figure out their candidate market fit. And I'll tell a story about that in a moment. I'll just say the third big idea is that there's four legs to the negotiation stool, Armin. And this is true no matter what level you're at, although it's even more true the more senior you become. The four legs are compensation, of course, and all of the elements of comp, with, you know, equity, et cetera, bonus, signing bonus, benefits, et cetera, remote, hybrid, blah, blah, blah. But also budget, resources, and support. In other words, what are you going to need to succeed in this new role? And to set you up to negotiate for that, I talk about this in the book, I tell you, you have to be in charge of the interview process, not the employer. And you have to write your own job description. I call it a job mission with OKRs that outline what you think your accountabilities are going to be for this role and show that to the hiring manager. It'll impress them. It will increase the odds of getting an offer. And then it'll set you up to negotiate, not just for comp, but for budget resources and support to be able to deliver on those OKRs. There's a lot in the book and there's 15 different tools that have been tested multiple times, but those are the three big ideas. Never search alone, candidate market fit, four legs to the negotiation stool. Now, when you tell me about these four legs to negotiation and the success of the candidate, there are many other things come to mind that are not part of these four, right? So for example, someone may go and just look at the organization, maybe the resources are there for him and the budget and everything and the compensation is fine, but the culture match is not there. It's yes. just a different culture. Oh, yeah. How would you categorize So 
thank you for bringing that up because in the book, before you get to the point where you put together your own job mission, and that's usually when there's a, when you're more serious with a company, I walk you through a whole series of ways to evaluate the culture, the product, the business model, the competition, some back-channel due diligence of the key players in the company, especially if it's a smaller privately held venture capital-backed company. So all of that is done by the time you're like, okay, now, now they've met all of that criteria and you're serious. Now create a job mission with OKRs and negotiate those four legs. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, absolutely. All of that happens before it. Culture is, culture is key. Culture is key. Absolutely. So that's part of the kind of the match process, the matching process. The kind of candidate is a good match to that company. And now we'll talk about afterward there are these four pillars. So, okay. So in such a case, as you say, this is a community that you have created and these people are kind of helping each other. Is there any business model behind it? or it's purely just a non-for-profit organization kind of a structure? So there's two communities, just to be clear. There's the community of senior leaders, collaborative gain, where there is a business, so companies pay a fee to have their senior leaders participate in that, right? Then there's the Never Search Alone community around the book. That is nonprofit. In fact, it's completely free. It's an open source community. The people, the senior leaders in the paid community are volunteering time to help the broader world in this whole process, to learn how to look for a job in a new way, and to use the principles of great product management that we have applied to the job search to reinvent the whole process from soup to nuts. Does that make sense? So there's a free community. That's for job seekers, right? That's for anyone looking for a role, and we're going to help you out. There's no strings attached. And then there's the paid community. That's the small, private, senior leadership community behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's a very good and balanced approach, actually. So that makes perfect sense. Now, when you think about these candidates coming and searching for different jobs, I wonder if you mentioned product, for example, managers as one of the, are there particular positions, particular profiles that might be the best match for this community to come and just ask for help? So we've made the job seeker community really wide. So we have everyone from, you know, former Goldman Sachs partners, Armin, who are looking for their next job to college students, right? And yes, there's a lot of product managers. So if you're a product manager and listening to this, it's a great fit, but we're not limiting it to that for the job search world. And I'll share a quick story with you that I think might drive some of this home. So I talk about this in the book, and this really goes to the four legs of the negotiation stool. And then I'll share a couple stories about candidate market fit and job search council. But there were two chief product officers who were actually CPO slash CTOs. Both of them had worked in B2B SaaS and both of them were entertaining new jobs in new B2B SaaS companies that were also private equity owned. Okay. I mean, it was just, it was a really good AB test, if you will. Person A identified there was about $20 million of technical debt. And so I said to that person, I said, listen, you've got to talk to the board. You've got to talk to the CEO and like make that a part of your offer that they will agree to write a check day one 
so that you can eliminate that tech debt and so that you can then start quickly developing new products. So he did, and they agreed. And six months in, the tech debt was erased and he was able to start doing new product development at a high rate. A year in, things were going so well, they made him a GM of one of their divisions in addition to his functional role as product and technology. And then 18 months in, they were evaluating him for the CEO role. I mean, it's just like amazing. Person number two, in their case, they identified about 10 million in technical debt, right? And I said the same thing. You've got to negotiate that with the CEO and the board. And he said, okay. He went to the CEO and the CEO said, no, we're not going to just, you know, come in and you can make the case when you're here. Right. And I said to him, I said, you know, you've don't take that job because my experience is that if they don't agree now, they're never going to agree. And day one, they didn't agree. Month three, they didn't agree. Month six, they didn't agree. A year in, they didn't agree. And he left. He got a new job. That's fine. The difference is the opportunity cost right there, right? So person A, they were on their way to that CEO role. Person B, they're sort of back to where they were 18 months earlier. Now, people say to me, okay, well, that's great if you're a chief product officer, but what if you're negotiating your first role, like coming out of college as a product manager or whatever it might be, a consultant in a consulting firm? And I've had college students use the book and I've given them this advice. On your first job, you're not going to have a lot of comp negotiation. You're not going to have a lot of budget, you know, but you can negotiate training, exposure, what kind of support are you going to be given because you're, you want to learn, you want to grow. And so wherever you're at in your career, you need to think about that. And the more senior you get, the more important it is, but it's important from day one. I'll just now share a couple other stories about candidate market fit. because This is a tough concept for people. It might be the most original concept in the book. And again, when you're in a job search, you're like, forget all this. I just want to get a job. Let me get my resume out there, right? We had a, a member who was a chief data officer, okay? She came up through engineering, had a great engineering background, went into data, became a chief data officer at a Fortune 100 company. She decided to leave the company and just spend some time, take a little time off and then go look for a CTO role. She decided she wanted a CTO role. She ended up spinning her wheels for about a year. She, she would get interviews, but no offers. So she came to me and I said, okay, first of all, let's get you in a job search council so you have some support. And then let's have you do the listening tour to go figure out your candidate market fit before you interview. And so she went and she interviewed people. And I have a whole process in the book that outlines how to do these interviews and interviews with people you've worked with, interviews with people you don't know, and interviews with recruiters. And this is important. I say, don't go ask the recruiter for a job. Say, hey, give me 10 minutes and give me some advice. Your knowledge about the market would be really helpful to me. Recruiters, Armin, love this because no one ever asks them for this. They always like, just get me a job or why won't you get me this job? You know, like they get frustrated. <laughs> and so she spoke to a recruiter and said, you know, and I tell them to ask three questions of a recruiter. What job could I get tomorrow? What job might be a fit, but it's a stretch? And what's definitely out of my range, right? And this recruiter said, hey, I would never hire you for a classic CTO role. I think that's why you've gotten no offers. But there's a new trend of companies hiring CTOs with data backgrounds. And for that, you are an amazing fit, right? And bam, that was her candidate market fit. And Armin, a year she spent, no offers. Once she realized that and focused on that, she had three offers in three weeks, three offers in three weeks. And then she was just balancing, which was the best for her. We talk a lot about candidate market fit. We run these open houses on LinkedIn every two weeks. 
And so we had a, a senior product leader come on last week using a pseudonym and a video off. It was LinkedIn Live talking about like he really struggled with this concept. You know, Phil kept telling me I got to do this, but I didn't want to do it. And finally, he said, I spoke to a venture capitalist. And there's a lot of people, Armin, especially if they're more senior, they're like, well, I can do a lot of things. So I don't want to narrow it down. But company, if you say to a company, I can do a lot of things, they don't know what to do with you. If you tell your network, oh, I could do a lot of things, they don't know what to do with you. So he finally spoke to a venture capitalist and he's like, this is too broad. You need to tell me the one thing that you can do. So he's like, oh, Phil, you're right. You've been telling me this. So he did it and he brought it to the venture capitalist. He said, now I can talk to my partners. He went and spoke to their partners. And here's the interesting thing. Once you narrow it down, now they were able to say, well, I bet you could probably also do these other jobs. He said, yes. But that only came after narrowing it down. People can expand on their own, but they can't figure out like contraction on their own, if you will. Like, Armin, if you told me I could be a chief product officer, I could be a chief tech officer, I could be a VP of engineering, I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm not sure what to recommend you for, right? Or how I would use you. But if you said I could be a chief product officer, like, oh, great. I bet you could also run engineering too, couldn't you? Yes, I could, right? So it's hard. What I recommend in the book is not, it's easy to understand, but it's sometimes hard to apply because of the way that we want to run this and our emotion, the emotional challenges that we face when we're in a job search. Again, no matter how qualified we are. This was the big, the big aha in the book. That's very important because I cannot tell you how many times I have seen really people not looking at it analytically at the job search when they want to really find the right career and then not looking at it analytically enough and then getting into that position, not just for them, but also for the company is the opportunity loss. So it's on both sides and it's either both of them are going to be happy or both of them are not going to be happy. It's very rare for one side to be happy and the other side, <laughs> you know, is not. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. I like that. That's going in the next version of the book. You're right. I like that framing. You get it. Yeah. So I normally tell candidates that when they come and we wanted to hire them, I tell them we are both on the same boat. My job is to provide you as much information as you need. That's right. Because you need to make the right decision. If you don't make the right decision, most likely both of us will be unhappy. That's right. We need to fit on both sides. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And if you make the right decision and then both of us will be happy, that's what we want. So, you know, I encourage them to give it really deep dive and think about it and don't rush it and just ask any question you want. How many people do you want to talk to? I just want them to make sure this is perfect. This is great for them because it's a shame. I mean, that's really a lot. It's the time that is wasted on both sides. And honestly, you know, companies can get hurt. People can get career can, you know, do much better if you really just find the right thing for you. And that's anyway, one year, two years of life. I mean, how many years of efficiently, you know, in most of us in our career, I mean, we have, let's say 20 years of really, really good years of career. I don't know what's the scientifically, what's the average, but I bet it cannot be more than 20, probably it's less than 20. And, and if that's the number, it's very kind of limited number. So every single year counts, you know, it's not something- It counts a lot. People act like they have unlimited time 
And then what happens is, is they get into their 50s and they're stuck and then they can't get another job. And then it's really tough. I was talking to someone yesterday who's a VP of product at a second tier brand in their marketplace. It's really almost a third tier brand, actually, Armin. And I've been saying to them for a long time, you got to get out of there because you're going to get stuck because you're going to get to a certain age and then you're not going to be able to find other work. And so we were talking and he said, I think I finally realized you're right. I need to make a move. I said, yeah, you do. And we talked about his candidate market fit. And I said, you got to get out there, you know, do that research. But I will tell you, my guess is because he's got a VP role now, Armin, my recommendation is go work for a better firm with a better product culture and take a lower level role, take a director role, because you're going to learn a lot. And we had a member a couple of years ago who was an EVP at a traditional media company and in digital, an EVP of digital, and wanted to, wanted to go to Silicon Valley and work in a top tier streaming business. He ended up taking an IC role from EVP to IC, but it's changed everything. He's at a top tier brand and now he's done that for several years. So he's run a team of 200 plus people and he's been in IC most recently. Now he can do whatever he wants. Like he's got the cachet and the learning of the top tier brand. He's got the people management skills of his previous job. But many people are not willing to do that, Armin. They're like, no, I'm an EVP. I should have an EVP role. No, no. The market does not see that. It's a marketplace and it's not personal. Although it feels personal, right? You know, and I get that. I get that. But that's also why you need the support group of other job seekers to say, yes, you know, I tell people how to, how to think about what they want, right? You said what you wanted is you wanted to work for a top tier brand. And it's pretty clear to do that. You're going to have to go down to several levels in title, but who cares? Because you go do that for a few years and then you're going to be able to do whatever you want in this space. And he did. And it's been great. And he is. And now he's got an amazing new job. But most people aren't willing to do that. You look at different companies as well, right? So you not only look at people, but sometimes you look at the organizations and companies. Is it fair to say some of them are just better in the process, in better understanding, you know, who they want and they really attract and absorb the right people for the organization and some organizations may not do it as well as others. And how do you see it from the other perspective? So a lot of companies have taken my book and reverse engineered it from the company's point of view. So yes, I see a lot of companies and, and I talk to a lot of CEOs about this. Most companies, Armin, are not very good at recruiting the right people into their organizations. Most are not. Most write job descriptions that are absolutely worthless. It's, it's like has nothing to do with what the, it's abstract. There's no OKRs. It's not clear what it's all about, right? And they just don't have a process for vetting around cultural fit, right? Which we know is so critical. So most are bad, but a few, a few are quite good at it. That's true. A few are quite good at it, but they're the rare exception in my experience. And by the way, there's a really good book called Who, W-H-O, that is written from the employer's perspective in terms of how to think about hiring good people. And I still, many of the members of Collaborative Gain now use that book in terms of their hiring. I've recommended it to a lot of people. And it, you know, it's a good book. It's one of the few really good books for the hiring manager and for hiring companies to think about a better process for figuring out whether 
someone is a good fit for that company. Yeah, and when you look at companies in general, but SaaS companies in particular, what I have seen and what I have observed is the ones that are successful and they can really grow and grow the business successfully and create better opportunities for everyone, including their own people, for the market and customers, for investors, are the ones that actually have a great team and they have been able to receive the right amount of funding that helps them grow. And also they have the right, I would say, vision and market. And also at the end, they have the right experience with regard to planning and the discipline to execute that. But talking about these four different things, the number one thing is people. Because if you don't have the right people, your chance of going after funding and receiving funding, your chance for finding the right market and strategy and vision, your chance for planning and execution on all front goes down because then really so. So definitely team is the most important thing. And if I wear my investor's hat, for example, and look at a company and they come to us, even if I like the vision and if I like the story, it's still a big question mark is, do they have the right team in order to make that vision a reality? And do they have the right team to actually plan accordingly and execute such a plan? And if the question is, no, they don't have the right team, doesn't matter how great you know, the vision is or everything else, or even how much money they have, honestly, it will be all wasted. So definitely that's one of the major factors that it's really important to find the right candidates, hire the right way, and for people to join their company with the idea that I want to make this company successful so I can also have that great purpose in mind and be helpful and have a great impact and it create a win-win scenario. Yeah. You know, one of the SaaS companies that I've seen do this really well is Appfolio. Appfolio, I don't know if your listeners know, they're now publicly traded and actually they just came out with their third quarter earnings report, 30% growth rate, you know, as a public company in this market, right? Awesome. And that's because of people. It's just exact. Jason Randall, who's the president and CEO, is very thoughtful about people and culture. And it's a great place to work, but they're very careful about who they bring in. And it's had a big impact on their success. I thought that Peter also at Segment was really good at this you know, really young CEO and segment, I'm guessing that some of your listeners know them, you know, very young, but appreciated the importance, I think, of culture and people in a way that that I've seen more seasoned people not. And, you know, the cliche, of course, among investors in Silicon Valley is you back the jockey and not the horse, right? That is the best investors, the best venture capitalists understand that. But you're right, still many companies, they're just not as good at that, it's actually just not a, a point of real focus, sadly. Yeah, and it's not just the top team, honestly, it's also the team overall, right? So you may have a kind of, you know, top team that you interact with or investors interact with or the board interacts with might be super impressive, but it's still if the whole company does not have that habit of really bringing people with that mission in mind or clarifying the mission or understanding what kind of profile. I mean, all of those matter. So everyone, every single person in the company, in my view, really matters, not just the top tier people. So that's great. 
So definitely any help that people can receive in order to find the right company for themselves, the right career, and also companies can learn to how to do it effectively. It will impact positively everybody in the society, to be honest with you. That's right. And if you're a hiring manager listening to this, you know, definitely I say get the book and look at candidate market fit and look at this four legs and the job mission with OKRs. Like you should write a job mission with OKRs. Don't write a job description. Don't write those abstract job descriptions and look for candidates who meet your fit, right? And you have to really, you have to think about it. You can't just spend half an hour and you're done. It, but this requires time and effort, but it's worth it, right? It's really worth it. I mean, if you, we all know the difference, Armin, between having someone on your team who's really good and is a really good fit and what they're able to produce versus someone who's not, or broader speaking, a high functioning team overall versus one where there's politics or negativity or just B or C players that aren't getting any work done. Huge difference, huge difference. Yeah, in software world, especially it's like art. So just, you know, because you spend two hours to create this painting, and beautiful painting or whatever, it doesn't mean that two hours is the same result, right? So you can see two-hour painting to be totally different. One goes to a very, you know, well-known museum and stays there for years and maybe centuries. And the <laughs> other one, you may not even see it at all. So definitely software is more like art than just, you know, it's not a manufacturing job that you can deliver a certain amount of output in two hours or something. So yeah, it matters. Absolutely. And honestly, it's not just about, you know, I have the expertise or experience to do that. It's also about sometimes I have seen people that when there is a good match, when they find the right company, the right job for themselves, it just drives them in a totally different way. So the same person can be totally creative in one position and not that creative in the other position. So I'm more a believer in the right match rather than, you know, this person is able or not able. It's just you need to find exactly the best match and then magic happens. Well, yeah, you like that fit concept, candidate, company, fit, <laughs> both sides. Absolutely. Okay. And then I would like for you to also, if you could share with us a book that maybe you have read it, you liked it. And then uh, it has had a positive impact on you and what you do. We would love to hear about it. Sure. There's a number of books. I'm a big reader. I mentioned Who by Jeffrey Smart, WHO. Strongly recommend that for the hiring manager. That's had an impact on me. But I also, I mean, there's so many good books. I'm a big reader of history, Armin. And so Herodotus, who, do you know Herodotus? Uh, yes. <laughs> who wrote the first what we call book, and it was about the wars between Persia and Greece, right? And nearly 20, well, now 2,500 years ago. And, you know, Herodotus is, uh, it's remarkable. You get to see life from 2,500 years ago, Armin. And the impact that that book had on me was the technology has changed, but the psychology has not. In fact, the psychology and the politics are very similar. The technology is different, but the politics and psychology are very similar. And that's kind of a profound, you know, realization. 
And there's just, there's terrific. So I could talk about Herodotus. I actually run reading groups on, on the classics for product managers and people in the internet world to help them see from a different perspective. Having a historic perspective helps you make decisions better, helps you feel less scared about crises because humanity has gone through so much in the last 5,000 years. There's so much to say about that. But I also ran a big program on Darwin and the origin of species. I had about a million people involved in that in 2009 for the 150th anniversary of the publication of Origin of Species. That book's had a big impact on the world, obviously, but also on me. And I'll tell you, part of it is the methodology that Darwin used. He went slow and he spent a number of years really testing his hypothesis and refining it. And I would never say that Never Search Alone is anything like Origin of Species. This is a small book compared to that. But I did take inspiration from him in this form of continuous testing and refining and being clear in what you have to offer. Those are just a couple of books that come to mind, but I, I read a lot. There's a new book out on the history of religion that'll be out in the United States in April of next year, which I think is just so important because religion has played such an important role in world history. And, you know, why was there a shift from polytheism to monotheism? And what attributes did monotheism bring with it that made it more fit, if you will, for that moment in time? I find those to be very interesting questions. In the business world, in the product world, you know, Marty Kagan is someone I, I recommend. His books, Inspired and Empowered, I think are, are some of the best in that space. So those are a few, is that a, a few thoughts anyway? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Phil. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I personally enjoyed it very much. I hope people who listen to this podcast also enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, Thank you. Super. And we would love to have you again in the show. And I'd love to come back. I would love to go and read your books. Definitely never search alone. That's the book that I'm very interested to read uh, probably in the next week or so. And, you know, maybe we should have a discussion afterwards after I'm more educated on the topic. <laughs> oh, well, I'd love that, Armin. Yeah. And you can challenge me on anything or, you know, we can just get into it more. I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to meet you. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.